This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We make bad beer all the time. You should taste some of these beers. They're really bad. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. back again we're back everybody <laughs> for our barrel staff in the house for our uh, second of two episodes scott you won't believe this scott's here too hey scott hey what's up jay I this is episode 51 oh my god can you believe that let's give it up wow 51 wow. feels like 380 unbelievable accomplishment yeah. we're back in the brewing network studios in downtown concord tonight's guest the rare barrel What's up, guys and, and Hi. gals? Hey. Hey. That was too loud. Uh, <laughs> join the discussion with us tonight. Call us, just like you did last show, 888-401-BEER. Join us in the chat. Email us during the week with feedback. Scott at the Brewing Network. Scott at the Brewing Network dot com. Jay at the Brewing Network dot com. Uh, Stefan at the Brewing Network dot com. You can watch us uh, on the uh, on the camera. Uh. <laughs> That's distracting now. <laughs> Watch us, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. Listen live to the Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile. Mike's texting. Hold on, Mike's texting. <laughs> Who is it, Mike? Hold on. All right, yeah. We'll wait. We'll wait. Go ahead. Uh, uh, listen live, Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile. Subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever. Scott, do we have a review of the week? Yeah, we sure do, Jay. Review of the week. <laughs> this is from J2 Brew. Best show on the BN is the title. He says, it's the best show on the Brewing Network. Jay is a great host, and Moscow keeps the show flowing. Great job, guys. Best of all, no Justin or belching on air. My other favorite <laughs> beer podcasts are Beersmith and The Beerus. It's somewhere between the information and the fun of both of those. Wow, so you didn't even name the other BN shows. Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing the Style, and The Session. Those two. He, those he two. alluded to The Session. Right. Yeah. I have a quick question. Is J is J two brew? Is that you? No, that's not your. Jay is a great host. Oh, yeah. from Jay. But the screen, the, the screen, J two brew. Jay does a great job, even when he's sick. I mean, yeah. What's great though is that was kind of a uh, little anti session long before you ever asked for. Oh, that's an this older is from one. August 2015. Okay. He wrote that. Moving on. <laughs> What else do we have? I don't think anything else, Scott. What about all the subscribe and I did. I just all did that. that. You listen, that's my whole lead up to the 
to the iTunes review of the week. Oh, okay. Oh, how about this? I'll give one. Okay. Um, thanks, everybody, for uh, using Amazon. You go to the uh, Brewing Network's homepage, you click on the Amazon link, and then you do all your shopping as normal, and they give us a little tiny cut of everything you buy. A lot of you have been, do that throughout the year, and then many more of you did it for um, the uh, Christmas shopping, and we greatly appreciate it. And that is a great way to support the Brewing Network all year round. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks to those uh, who are already doing it. And if you're not, yeah. set it as your homepage. Yeah, easiest thing to do is just replace your, you know, you probably just type in Amazon.com, but if you leave it as your bookmark, start selecting it, clear out your cookies, clear out your cash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then start doing this. It's not complicated. And then once you just start typing in Amazon, it's going to know that that's the most visited site. And then you'll help us keep the light on. Yes. Because we're down to one, you guys. Well, so hey, LEDs serious. are expensive, man. I mean, yeah. it's not like the old incandescent days. No, no. I mean, this is us. Some of you guys, this is your first time in the studio. So what's your, you know, what's your general impression? It's way too dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark, right? It, was well, last year. it is sensual, so. <laughs> I love it. Logan? Sean, any comment? Batch one was better. <laughs> yeah, smells great. Yeah. Batch one was better. Batch one. <laughs> Excellent job, team. Did you poach your employees exclusively from the FM radio world, or just mostly? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these guys are pros. Yeah, they are. Yeah, don't Man, mess around with us. Coming from my job. Okay, let's. Uh, we got some some beers open. We're actually going to open a beer in the next segment from uh, one of our listeners. Yeah, Is that right, later in the show. Yeah, we're going to talk. And it was a, a very lauded homebrew. It was the well. I'll let him tell you, but it, it won a lot of major awards. This beer, and it was a a Berliner Weiss, and it's his first attempt at a tart beer. Or so he claims, and mm-hmm. it, it uh, took the tart world by storm. So we have some. We have some of the beer. <laughs> uh, the tart world. The, That's the magazine we come out with monthly. <laughs> <laughs> Got the sour, sour hour. And it's like and then, Oprah's magazine world. where yeah. Jay's on the cover every single month. Jay magazine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna talk, we have some of this beer, and uh, we're going to talk to him and figure out how the hell he did it live. Live. Oh, that's terrific. Yes, sir. What's this person's name? Uh, his name is Manny. Manny. Yes, we're okay. going to talk to him a little later in the show. Great. We'll be looking forward to that. We love trying great beer. So no pressure, Manny. No pressure. <laughs> uh, so in the meantime, let's just get to some questions, yeah? Yeah. Unless, and does anyone have anything to say before we get going? No. Uh, okay, let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stefan, do you have something? <laughs> Looks like Stefan had something. Maybe this is not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Okay. This is from Sean Kelly. Sean says, hey, guys, I'm a home brewer in Madison, Wisconsin. I have three 10-gallon hop shop uh, at winehop.com. I, you better be going there, Sean. Anyone in Madison, Wisconsin should be going to the wine and hop shop. It's Great a good job. spot. Uh, he says, I have three 10-gallon barrels that I actually got from the wine and hop shop. There you go. Thanks Boom. a lot for uh, letting that secret out. I hope they're not a very well-kept secret. That's a great spot. He says, I've been using the barrels twice. Uh, well, that's weird phrasing, Sean. I have been using the barrels <laughs> twice with clean beers before switching to sours. I, I have one with a one-and-a-half-year-old Flemish Red and then one with a five-month-old a promising Lambic style. And the third is a fresh brandy barrel uh, with its first clean beer. My question is about the oldest barrel. It's been making excellent beer. A lot of it is due to the American Sour Beers uh, book and then the Sour Hour. He says, however, it has been slowly developing some acetic character. Being a small and charred barrel, I think I'm getting too much oxygen. Could you talk a little bit about barrel management techniques to slow oxygen ingress? I thought I heard something about putting wax on the barrel. Maybe there are other techniques. 
There's some high-fiving going on. I'll just say real quick that we did a whole episode or a, a large feature of an episode with uh, James Shamus. Is yes. That, am I saying that correctly? Yes. On small barrel management for the home brewer. But does anyone have any comments on managing acetic development in small barrels? It seemed like Aaron was just kind of high-fiving me about the wax comment. He talked about the small small surface area and oxygen induction and all that stuff, so... That's where that high five came from, and I'll so pass it pro, over to Rob. Pro, pro wax, then. Yeah, pro. Yeah. So that is an effective method, waxing the outside of the barrel. I mean, that's a tough question for me. It's, Wait, what do you I mean, know a lot Rob? of people do it. I don't. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. Uh, yeah, the smaller barrels, the five ten gallon, gallon barrels, they do have thinner staves than the you know fifty nine gallon standard barrels that we use. So you will get more oxygen exposure in those thinner staves. I have seen, I have never done it in practice, is using the, was it paraffin wax? Yeah, yeah paraffin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I personally hate that because I know it as a, <laughs> a Band-Aid on a big barrel yeah. sealer. When I first came into the rare barrel, we were pretty much patching any hole in any barrel with just wax. And I like to relate that to putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot. Mm-hmm. doesn't really work too well. Sure. But I have seen uh, some humperers use it to actually seal the outside of their barrels, kind of melt it and put it on the outside of their barrels. I'm sure there's some YouTube videos out there to show you how to do it that will actually uh, help keep oxygen out. So for that kind of scenario, I think it's a smart way to do it. So I think you're on the right track. I like the, the Band-Aid on a gunshot metaphor, but I will say uh, a lot of the – Quick fixes, the paraffin waxes out there, I, I found didn't work over a long period of time. And I went down to the brewery, uh, my old uh, employer, the brewery, of which Scott has a work shirt on. Indeed. Of them. Yeah, I was just uh, got off a long shift when, uh, wearing boots and yep. you know doing the thing over there. Mashed in some mischief. <laughs> yep, yeah, you notice how good the beer's been tasting lately. Yeah, it's been I have nothing to do with You're that. You're killing it, bro. Zero. So anyway, went down there for a visit You know, when we were just starting up the rare barrel and saw that they have like so many bourbon barrels, which are just notorious leakers, and they had them all patched up with the specific kind of paraffin wax, which I don't remember where we get from. Do you remember, Mike? We ordered that from some weird website. We, we I, probably ordered a whole bunch, so we didn't have to order it again. Yeah, it was wine, not wine and hop shop. It was not wine and hop. Oh, okay. Wine and hop shop dot com. Great resource to match. Well done. But <laughs> wine and hop. That's what I said. Uh, um, I forget. It's got a penguin on it. What? Uh, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, for sure. It's got a penguin. It's on it's para- It's a block yeah. of. It's a square of paraffin wax that with wax uh, exterior like butter packaging. Yeah. yeah, like butter. Exactly like butter. Yeah. And it's got like blue lettering paraffin yeah. wax. The only comment I'll say on that is just that that wax actually represented a significant step up from other waxes that I had previously tried. Point taken with Rob, who's been doing a lot of great things with uh, sealing our barrels and barrel treatment. And upgrading our processes there. We're lucky to have uh, a couple of cellar people who have uh, winery experience. So, you know, barrel care is, is very important to that. And I know very important to these guys. So they bring a lot to the table there. Logan? Yeah, I think uh, wax is really important. But barrel size plays a big factor. And I know that um, surface area to volume ratios are online. And you can look at that and kind of compare what 10 gallons looks like versus... Uh, a normal wine barrel. We're on that. Just Google yep, surface to volume. Google that, and I, I'm sure it'll pop up for uh, wine barrels. And then, I mean, one thing that you could think about for a 10-gallon barrel is maybe racking in a little younger beer. I mean, for us, we do primary fermentation in stainless, and then we wait for that to basically finish out primary, and then we rack it to barrels. 
but for a ten right gallon now. right now. Thank you. For a ten, <laughs> for a, for a ten <laughs> gallon barrel, it might make more sense to uh, rack during primary or even do primary fermentation in the barrel, so you have active yeast and you don't have to worry about oxidation from that. The yeast will pick up a lot of the oxygen that's present in the barrel. Then also just do a shorter residency time and then maybe transfer it to a keg if you're kegging or a carboy. It depends what you're looking to get out of the out of the barrel itself. I mean, you're talking about bourbon barrels, so I, I like the idea of if you want to get something out of there, get what you need and then get out. There's nothing that says you have to keep the beer in the bourbon barrel until packaging. You can rack out into a glass carboy that's purged if you have that capability. You know, sometimes we discuss how much extraction we're getting from character barrels, spirit barrels, wine barrels. If the character that we're extracting from the barrel is outpacing the development of the beer, so we've got full extraction, the beer needs more time kind of thing, we can take the beer out of those barrels and then store them in a separate vessel until packaging, and that's fine, you know? We still have the extraction. The beer just needs more time. So separate the maturation of the beer from the extraction of flavor of your secondary vessel that you're trying to get character out of. So seconding that, but opposite, you can oftentimes have the beer kind of need more oak flavor or more bourbon barrel flavor in a homebrew kind of, it's more practical in a homebrew environment, but you can cut up a barrel and put it in a carboy. So, so soak the kind of, soak yeah, in gets, bourbon, whatever. Yeah, more, more, barrel, <laughs> more barrel flavor. If, like, your barrel's just leaking and it's just causing you all these kind of problems, you're getting a ton of oxygen uptake. Put it in stainless or glass and just cut up your barrel and put it in it if it's already falling apart. Mm-hmm. I think wine and hop shops sell sawzalls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Just not, you know, mention us in the notes. <laughs> yeah. Also mention... BN shipping in the notes, so you can get the discount after checkout, wineandhop.com. Just wait till you guys hear the final finished product of the show. Jace, you won't even hear that pause. Sound like a real pro. I won't even be sick in the finished That's version. right. You'll sound healthy as a horse. Yeah. Also, um, just to... Let's uh, do some push-ups. Right. <laughs> um, also, just to add in here, too, is I'm not entirely sure what type of bung the guy's using, uh, or she... Pardon me. Um, it's a dude. Okay. Yeah, Sean. Um, but uh, using at this point, you know, if you've just got an airlock with a bubbler going on in there and you've got temperature temperature differentials going on uh, in whatever storage condition you're going on, I mean, sounds like this is something that's worried about acetic and EA production over time. This is a mature beer. You know, you, you may want to look into having a, a hard bung, something that is... At this point, you're not worried about CO2 production. You're not worried about pressurizing that barrel, but you want to make sure that there's a, you know as little oxygen ingress as possible, um, as well as temperature, too. I mean, if you're wanting to get more age character out of this beer, you're wanting to uh, not use it now, use it later. You can also help stave off from uh, EA <laughs> and acetic character. By lowering the temperature as well. I mean, if you're, you know, if you can get something down to 50, 55 Fahrenheit, you're looking at significantly reduced levels of EA production, even with oxygen present. What do you guys think the ideal material is for hard bugging? You know, you got silicone, wood, what works best? In practice, I've seen silicon used most often, but I, you know, outside of that, I'm not sure. Go ahead, Logan. Uh, honestly, I don't think it matters that much. I mean, the the bunghole on a barrel is such a small part of the barrel. I think that a breathable bung versus a hard bung definitely makes a difference. But 
once it's completely sealed, I don't think silicone versus actual wood makes a huge difference in it. I mean, I, I mean that's just based off of an educated guess. I, w- I would just say that silicone's easier because it's removable and replaceable. Because oftentimes, if you're going to sample out of a bunghole, then pulling a wood bung out usually breaks it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's really the only preference there for me. You went to school, did some stuff in Belgium, Logan. What did they use? Hardwood? What kind of porosity are we talking? What kind of silicone? Are they hammering in? It's a big thing I see on Milk the Funk a lot. Like, what kind of hard bung? Are we talking too much about hard bunks? No, I'm hard listening to it. <laughs> Continue, Logan. One one thing I would add, besides ignoring Mike's point, is that... That's a real question. Hardwood? I mean, the you can't... Surface tension of wood on wood versus silicone. High, high grain, you know. Yeah. One thing I would, I would point wood. out is that uh, when we get wood bungs, they're usually in spirit barrels. And, I mean, I think sil- silicone is the way to go because if it's easier to pop that out. Whereas if you really get a wood bung in there, it'll stick. And, I mean, especially if fermentation's not over and you can have potential CO2 uh, off-gassing, you could worry about depending on how sound the barrel actually is, potential, I don't think you'd have an explosion, but you could have the, a lot of buildup of pressure, whereas a silicone bung would probably just pop out before that would happen. Isn't that a problem? In some cases, that can be a problem, right? I'll argue the opposite for fun, just that the silicone, it's easier to you know pop on, pop off, but you're talking about hard bunging, so that's presumably you're trying to trap things in there. you you do assume some pressure buildup, but, you know, take care not to, you know, have this early in fermentation or do a refermentation or anything like that. But maybe you can trap volatiles in there. Maybe you're not letting as much oxygen in there if the bung is less removable. Yeah, I think once you're under probably like one Play-Doh or like, you know, sub 10.06, I think it doesn't matter as much because you won't be having that much CO2 and it'll be able to escape through the staves. Anytime before that, I think it could be potentially problematic. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's kind of just, you know, there hasn't been a lot of research into that, and it's worth experimenting on. Not at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for the question, Sean. Move off of bunks. I need a beer anyway, so it's that time. Let's take a break. We'll be right back on The Sour Hour. Beer. I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a Certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. This is Lauren from New Belgium Brewing Company, and you are listening and learning from the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network.
We're back. Oh, hey, welcome back, guys. Hour, hour with the Rare Barrel. Guys, still filing in with some, some new beers to open. Although we have some, uh, some listener beer to tackle with uh, Manny in a little bit. Indeed. Before we get to that, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors. All those questions from the last segment were brought to you by SourBeerBlog.com. Make sure to follow along with all of Dr. Lambic's adventures, including articles on the Sour Beer Brew Day that he wrote with his own Sour Beer recipes and his new uh, Jester King interview and tasting. In between those two is actually a tasting of Rare Barrel Beer, an interview that I did with Dr. Lambic, which was a lot of fun. Continuing to crank out a lot of extensive and valuable content, SourBeerBlog.com. Also want to give a quick shout-out to the American Homebrewers Association. Have you seen, Scott, what the free Brew Guru app can do for you? No, I haven't seen it. What are you talking about? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> it's built for you and homebrewers and, and beer lovers. Brew Guru delivers sage brewing. Sorry, this is on. Can you read that, Scott? Yes. It's on the, oh, the it's foil. on the watermark? Yes, this the is put that on the check. check. The Brew Guru delivers sage <laughs> brewing knowledge and knowledge, okay. money-saving deals at breweries, beer bars, and homebrew supply shops. It's an app. It is an app. It's the AHA's app. You can effortlessly find deals, save money on beer, food, and brewing supplies. You can level up your brew IQ on Brew Guru with hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. And use the powerful brewery locator to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, home brew supply shops, and brew pubs. Wherever you are, Stefan, Brew Maybe Guru will lead you to good beer. Uh. <laughs> that was alive. <laughs> Get the app today and follow the path to beery enlightenment. It's free for the iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.com. Brew Guru, it brings brew to you. And me. Guru. Not helpful. No, it is helpful. <laughs> it's helpful. Very helpful app. All right. Well, we've got a new beer open in front of us, and this is from uh, a listener and, uh, from, by all accounts, a very talented homebrewer, uh, Manny. Hey, Manny, what's happening? Yeah, I'm here, guys. How's hey. it going? Pretty good, man. Good. You, uh, you're in Florida, right? Yes, sir. So we have uh, Manny's uh, Berliner Weiss in front of us. It is, how do you describe it, Manny? It's my interpretation of a pina colada sour beer. Yeah, and, and it's appropriately titled, if you like pina colada. Yeah. yeah. So I got the idea of using tropical fruits because we live down here in Florida and they're so available. Um, so I decided, you know, something tropical. And I was one day I was just kind of mellowing out, chilling, and I heard that song. And it kind of came to me. I was like, oh, I use piña. Right? I speak Spanish. Sorry. Are you cutting use, the rain? Uh, pineapple and some coconut. Um, maybe I could do a piña colada sour. And I thought it was a little weird when I first tried it, but I got a good reception. So... And then that took me on this journey of submitting this to the National Homebrew Competition um, last year. And surprisingly, I won the gold medal Boom. for this beer. Yeah, wow. so, Good stuff. Thank you, guys. Well done. It tastes like gold. <laughs> it does. I see a lot of smiles. Not, it's not the third too. time Jay has said that. He really favorite. likes that line. I, I never reuse jokes. <laughs> right, guys? No, you're <laughs> Thank you. Ah, you're the best. All for the first time. Can I get an advance? By the way, Manny was uh, generous enough to send us a, a few bottles of this stuff. So there's another bottle here. Oh, I, I personally am going for a little yeah, bit more. Take a little Ooh, they all awesome. grabbed her at once. So, Manny, can you run us through you know, what the brew day was like, fermentation, how you process the secondary ingredients for people who yeah. want to recreate yeah. this? 
Yeah, so uh, I got the idea uh, from Michael Dawson. I don't know if you know him from Green TV, and he was talking about doing a quick sour. My main concern was contamination with my equipment. So I heard that um, through this podcast that if you basically do a lactobacillus starter, dump it into uh, some wort and a carboy, put it in your garage, uh, put a bung on it, wait a week, it'll give you a nice tart sour flavor. Um, and I did that, and surprisingly it did have a really nice tart sour flavor. So at that point, uh, the next step was to dump it back in the boil kettle, kill the lacto, and then proceed to do some hop additions for 15 minutes. After that, I chilled it, uh, pitched some sack, waited a week, and then racked it onto another carboy with some pineapple and coconut, and waited another couple of weeks, and then racked it again to another carboy to clear it up. And once it, after about another two weeks, then I bottled it, and it came out pretty good. How did you process or even source the pineapple and coconut? The pineapple, I basically chopped it up, leaving the core out, and then I grilled it, then I pureed it, and then I dumped that into the fermenter. With the coconut, I basically toasted it, and same thing, just put it in the fermenter with the pineapple. It was really cool because when it was fermenting, it kind of looked like like egg drop soup kind of moving around. <laughs> so it had a really cool effect when it was fermenting out. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of one of the little tricks I did with the fruit. I, I thought the caramelization of the sugars would work well with this beer. Yeah, and it does. I, I mean, uh, we knew we were going to taste this beer uh, on the show leading up, and uh, Scott and I were discussing it. And I was excited because we've been uh, experimenting with some, some coconut on a trial basis. And uh, the thing that strikes me about this beer, and I, I've heard some others in the room say it. I, I don't know if you have it. Do you have any bottles of this left yourself? Manny? Yeah, I'm drinking one right now. Okay, great. That's going to be perfect. So one thing, my impression of the coconut, and maybe it's a combination of things, but I get a strong chocolate aromatic Definitely. out of the beer, almost totally like, agree. and it took me a couple minutes to place, like, you know, I still get some coconut. I, I get some pineapple, especially pineapple in the flavor, um, but this, the chocolate smell it was almost bothering me. I could relate it to something, and then I just wrote down and showed Scott on my uh, pad here that it reminds me a lot of German chocolate cake because that's got really? that yeah. you know big coconut aspect yeah, to it sure. and and gotcha. the chocolate. But I, I'm wondering if if you perceive it the same way. I did not pick that up. That's really interesting. I, I've seen I've heard people comment that it kind of has like a suntan lotion kind of smell to it sometimes, but um, I've never heard that description that it had like a chocolate note to it. Not even the judging notes that I've seen uh, for this beer. That's pretty pretty interesting. That's, so the coconut gives you like a nutty kind of cocoa kind of smell flavor to it. I actually combine the, the chocolate flavor and the coconut kind of suntan lotion flavor to get almost like an Ovaltine like mixed breakfast, kind of like that chocolate milk powder. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's unpleasant at all. Actually, really yeah, it's really this, good. But yeah. I'm just saying like that's... Mm-hmm. It's the, the closest thing that I, like, grab that are both those flavors, like the baking chocolate and also the toasted coconut is, like, that kind of flavor. It's pretty. It's interesting, Manny, especially that you said none of the judges said anything about that either. I mean, that was the, no. that was the no. consensus in this room, and that was other people were out of the room, and they were, oh, there's chocolate. And then other people came <laughs> in and tasted it, oh, there's chocolate. You know, un- unprompted. You know, that's kind of what everybody got. That's crazy. That's amazing, yeah. Well, I'll have to that. go through my notes. I'm going to look for that keyword, but I did not see that in the judging notes. It's really interesting. I've seen, I've heard suntan lotion, um, coconut cakey kind of smell to it, but nothing like that. That's just really cool. Thing, I mean, generally for me in coconut beers is like a, it's a spot-on descriptor. 
I do get a decent amount of that in this for sure. Suntan lotion? Yeah. It's like I said suntan lotion, you know, I got this out of a hoppy beer I had a while ago, and I was like, oh, this is really suntan lotion-y, and it was some oily hop, and they were like, oh, you mean like coconuts? Yeah, sure. That sounds good. But yeah, I mean, this is, the chocolate note is definitely, it has kind of like a nutty undertone as well. I think some people would, you know, throw out the term no-yo. What about the um, the longevity of it? Because this was, this is the same batch from NHC, Benny, right? So this is like approaching no, a year old? No, this is not. This is actually my third batch uh-huh. of this beer. Oh. Got it. Um, the first batch I brewed last year, obviously in January, um, but this is the third batch. This batch I actually submitted to the Florida, uh, the Best of Florida competition. I won Best Fruit Beer for that for this batch. So Amazing. I was trying to nail down the recipe consistently. And the second batch didn't, do, didn't come out so good. Third batch uh, was pretty much like the first batch that got the NHC uh, medal. What do you think went wrong with batch two? Um, I listened to the judges. <laughs> um, so were, um, and I'm not talking about the NHC judges. I'm talking about the um, uh, – there's a – uh, coconut. Uh, there's a coconut beer competition down here in Miami, and I submitted it to that. And people were saying, "Oh, it needs more coconut, it needs more pineapple." So I bumped it up, and it just did not have that tart flavor. It didn't have that really nice Berliner character that I was looking for. And when I submitted it to other competitions, people were like saying, "Yeah, it's too much pineapple, too much coconut." I said, "All right." F this, I'm just going to leave it the way it was and not mess with it. Once you have something good, just leave it alone. And I just kind of stuck it with that. Great. Well, don't listen to us either. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolate. Um, Chocolate, what, yeah. what about the, the longevity of those? I mean, it doesn't surprise me that this is not as old of a batch because I was just amazed at how well it held up. But how have you seen these beers holding up with a little bit of time, a couple of few months, you know? This one was brewed in, uh, in September of last year, so it's about uh, pushing on four months now. My understanding is that sour beers you can keep around for a little bit longer than, like, an IPA. Basically, I think the character might have changed in the last since the first time when I brewed it, like in September, and maybe over the course of four months, it's changed character. You guys are the experts about this stuff, um, and I remember Scott was mentioning this is my first sour beer attempt when I initially the initial recipe I submitted. I think it changes over time, but you guys know more about sour aging um, once it's bottled. So I don't know if a Berliner you can age as long as say a Flanders or something like that. That's what I was wondering. Like, do you have to take steps with kettle soured beers for longevity? I think traditionally, if you introduce Brett into the bottle conditioning, they could last even longer. But yeah, I mean, low pH anything is going to last longer. You know, it's like preservation of food and beverage. Lower pH is going to help you out. It's why it's part of the reason why people age a lot of dark beers. Those finished pHs are a lot lower in a lot of cases, stouts and porters and stuff like that. You know, Manny, you, you mentioned a few times that, that we're the experts, but I'd actually turn it back around on you because, you know, your first batch of sour beer won gold at NHC. So no kidding. for all the people listening who, you know, want are 51 episodes in, but they haven't brewed their first sour beer for some reason, first, how would you do get it. them to do it? And second, what would, you, what, what would be your biggest uh, takeaway from your early success? Um, plan, just plan it out. Just uh, get a calendar, mark your weeks out, say, okay, this day I'm going to bottle, this day I'm going to ferment, this day I'm going to sour, and just kind of time it out and just schedule it and plan it and stick to your plan and schedule. Because if you don't do that, then you're going to miss something and it's just going to F it all up for you. Good, Rob. One more question. You said you added the coconut at one point in the fermentation? So basically, uh, sour, sour warding in the garage for a week um, in a carboy. 
dump it back in the kettle, uh, heat it up for 15 minutes with a little hop addition, kill the lacto, rack it back to another carboy. I pitched 1272 for about a week. Um, I did a big starter for that because I've noticed that SAC really has a hard time with low pH uh, wort. Um, once I had that uh, fermented out for about a week, then I did the pineapple grill blend and coconut toasting, dumped it all in the third carboy, and let it condition for about two weeks. I used about three pounds of uh, flaked coconut on this one. Nice. I was going to say, like, the coconut character in this is phenomenal. I have not had a lot of great coconut sour beers. Yeah. And um, the coconut in this comes through great. I walk. Sitting right here, Rob. <laughs> oh, wait, do we Sorry, have. Uh, you know what you gave me, Aaron. <laughs> so, you know what you did. Manny and but, uh, all yeah. the listeners, to loop you guys in real quick, Rob. Yeah. Just that uh, one shot a glance at Aaron, who's the R&D <laughs> coordinator. And uh, it's so job, good. Yeah, it's his job to, you know. Trial, you know, we get the it's it's fun to uh, mess around in the lab, and it's like we're gonna get seven different kinds of coconut and try them all out in our beer and kind of blind taste them and you know rate them uh, as panelists and kind of see what the results are. And uh, we're all laughing because we we went through uh, a long time to try and uh, find a way to get coconut into a sour beer and. Uh, where, where we failed, you have succeeded. So. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm honored to hear that. Yeah, Manny, I walked in blind to this, and I just picked it up, and I was like, coconut and pineapple? I was, I was kind of freaked out for a minute, and then Logan said, this tastes like almond joy. Almond joy. And then chocolate in there, and I was like, shit, this is fucking Yeah, dude, great. thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for that. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, this is, this, is, this is a really cool beer. I'm taking notes. I think a key Help here is that... He killed the lacto before he put coconut in it. Do you think it's specifically me, the lacto interacting little, or just a lower pH? I, I think it was a lacto interaction causing a, an extra vegetal kind of character. Or Bertomyces. Yeah, or or at least non-sac interactions right, with a, a non-sac coconut. interaction. Yes, yeah, so like mm. a like a wild yeast, so Brett or or bacterial interaction being. Uh, producing kind of a more vegetal character mm-hmm. when there's, interacting with a coconut. When uh, there's no bread in this beer, sorry, no, no bread. Oh, wait, no we bread. were just referring to yeah, the, no the trials okay. that yeah. we did. I, I personally think it's apples to oranges. I'm, I guess I'm going to <laughs> no, bat. pineapple, dude. Pineapple, pineapple, pineapple to coconut. Pineapple. Pineapple. If you will. <laughs> grill the pineapple. Grilling Yeah, grilling for sure. You grilled them. Aaron tried. And, you know, I obviously going about to Aaron here for a little bit, but we tried the guy. Don't need your help, Mike. I got this. I got my help, but we tried a lot of things. You know, it's a tough job. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Jenna's exactly right. And you can speak more to the science, but it's like you're doing kind of you got a lot of things going on in our beers that maybe aren't going on. I don't know if there's any merit to that, but. Going into a clean fermentation with fruit or any kind of secondary ingredients, you're obviously going to have a little bit more expected results. And I think that's something that we, like, we're challenged with in, like, a good way to work with all the different bugs that we have in our brew house, like, in our inner brewery that, you know, we're uh, building in our R&D department, but uh, it might be something to look at 
if we can get like a cleaner flavor from a more like f- uh, a milder ingredient from you know killing off some of our stuff before or just or, even, or just that. being a, a Saccharomyces only environment you know it's something right, we talked about with, with hops you know where we talk about dry hopping and we're saying okay hey this is where the extraction should happen in this type of environment with Saccharomyces only a higher pH. We're about to get a sound effect. Hold on, one, three, two, two, one. And oh yeah! yeah. Uh, Another beer opening <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Sorry, man. No worries. But, uh, but yeah, it's something we definitely talk about, and this is a nice uh, a nice data point to learn from. It's something I really like. You know, getting the listener beer and and diving into this stuff with you guys to help us learn more. And with the whole staff here, it's a lot easier. But. Um, What's what's next on your on your sour beer agenda, Manny? Yeah, exactly. With all this, you know, so much success, you, you got to be like, what, brewing only sours now, or just mostly sours? Yeah, I'm kind of on the sour kick now, <laughs> on the sour wagon. I got a I got a consecration kit from More Beer that's been going for about eight months now. Um, it's looking really good, it's smelling pretty good too. Um, I just did a 100% bread beer that I'm going to uh, ferment with some Florida strawberries um, the next couple of months. So that one's going pretty good. I did. It's a two-strain bread beer. It's got uh, Clausinii and Bruxellus. Um, sorry, Bruxellus. Is that the way you pronounce it? Bruxellus, um, I think. Bruxellus. Yeah. Brux. Brux. Just Brux. say Brux. <laughs> Just say Brux. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's French just smelling, me. the first couple of weeks, it was smelling really fruity. Now it's got this really hard citrusy kind of aroma to it through the airlock. So it's it's really developing into a really cool, cool beer. Um, and then the next next batch, I'll probably do another Berliner, maybe do a mango, pineapple, coconut Berliner. Uh, it was what I'm thinking for my next batch. So... It's quite a change, you know. Yeah. What, what was it? Uh, August of uh, last year now, I guess, or the, yeah. year, the year before? You weren't brewing sour beers, or it's, it's, it hasn't been that long. Janu- no, it's been that long. Yeah, Maybe January fifteenth was the first batch of this stuff. Right. Oh, I right? guess that's last year now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, January twenty fifteen. Wow. And then I brewed a uh, brewed a raspberry sour for a buddy of mine who got married, and it came out pretty good. People loved it, um, and a lot of those people who don't like beer were actually really enjoying that beer, and they didn't think it was beer; they thought it was kind of like a sparkling wine kind of drink. So I think uh, I think sour beers are definitely going to be bigger in my um, portfolio this year. Awesome. Well, you're doing God's work, it sounds like. Spreading the gospel <laughs> and <laughs> making a lot of good sour beer. Definitely. And thanks for sending in these bottles, man. That's really generous. We appreciate cool. it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm really honored to be on your show. Of course, Cheers, man. Thanks, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for you, joining us. Keep the good work. Here, Keep in touch with me and let me know uh, with your next batches, man. We'd be happy to get them. Well, let's yeah, the rare barrel now. Can... Oh, I have. Yeah, send yeah. them to the rare barrel. Send them to the rare barrel. We'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. 940 Parker Street, Berkeley, California. Thanks, Manny. All right. Good stuff. Good All beer. Right. You know what? We have actually a whole bunch of questions for your crew here uh, in the email. They, they got asked in chat, and then they got emailed to me. So Three shows. That's a good idea, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys yeah. don't want dinner. It's fine. I will be two hours on label bubbling if you guys want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you hear it. I know the home brewers are dying to know. You're hearing, you're hearing this live, brewers. Call us in. Ask Rob about labels. 80-day-401-beer. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like... 
Brew Your Own magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. Hey, pipe down. Jeez. We're on the radio live, Hi, guys. To millions, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. Don't you love listening to your, your you boss okay, sing Stephon? ACDC? It's so entertaining. Well, you can, you can pump it up for a second. It's us fading out, man. I can't do anything about it. That's it. That's my liner. You got it. <laughs> All right, everyone, everyone, All right. everyone, we're back. It's the sour hour. You want to say something, Brad? No. no. Hi. <laughs> Brad from the Rare Barrels in the studio with us. Do you live out here? I do, actually, yeah. I live just down the street. Oh, there we go. All right. You tell them the truth. You're a big, Party night. big fan. Big fan of me. Big. <laughs> Want to see Mike. me everywhere. Pedia Mike. Yeah, you just got you got members of your crew that you didn't even invite showing up. That's good stuff. I mean, everyone's invited. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, welcome. All right, let's let's do a bunch of questions because this is our last segment. Uh, but before we do, <laughs> let's talk about. Oh yeah, great website, Oregon Fruit Products. These guys have aseptic purees. They're super easy to use and convenient to store. No additives, no artificial flavors. Um, we love the expression they give us. They honestly, they love, they love working with brewers. I know Aaron works a lot with them, with the Chris's, and to be honest, it's, just, it's a dream. The product is absolutely top notch. The service is even better. They're constantly innovating. They listen to feedback. They've been talking to us about, you know, isolating farms. I'm like, oh, we want like, we like this. You know, Jay's been talking about we like this apricot skin, and they're like, oh, we have this farm, blah blah blah. All this I hear they're not stuff. doing that anymore. Oh, really? No, I'm just no. <laughs> I, I, I took You can't isolate the farm if you let everyone know about it. Oh, yeah, that's true. No, they're not doing that. <laughs> they don't only do it for us. No, I, yeah, I mean, they, you know. They help They help brewers out. You guys need some, and they'll help you out. Yeah, the passion out. fruit is good. Passion fruit is delicious. Mm. I, I, I think we're all excited about passion fruit right now. I, I was trying to, I was trying to say that. passionate. <laughs> very passionate about the passion fruit. So you can't tell. This is the last segment of show two of the Rare Barrel episode. Keep going. What's the end of that? 
Um, what do people do? You know, hey, I want to use Oregon fruit. Products. Fruitforbrewing.com. There you they go. They bring fruit no to life. Fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon fruit. They to bring life. fruit for life. Aaron. To life. Not Mike, because he sometimes rambles on. Did you write the re- Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> Fruitforbrewing.com. Fruit fruit the website's super intuitive. It's great. And Rob has something to say. I dip. You dip. We dip. It's a home or commercial use of water testing kits, which incorporates a revolutionary photometer, <laughs> which is the first and only on the market with its own app. Wow. I assume it comes on iPhone and Android? I, yes. Yes. Excellent. No comment. The iDip can perform over 40 different water quality tests for things like chloride, <laughs> calcium hardness, Lowercase p, uppercase h, also known as ph, sulfate, and much more. Podcast. Podcast. I'm sorry. Podcast. Listeners should enter the code TBN10 at checkout. That's also known as TBN10 at checkout to save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brewing test kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology a part of your brewing process today, 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 today. Maybe this is not helpful. Where do I go? I did. Where do I go? You get it around the www.smartbrewkit.com. That's Smart Brew Kit. One more time. Smartbrewkit.com. Not helpful. <laughs> All right. On to the uh, questions, and yeah. these guys need to put some food in their stomachs. <laughs> All right, these are questions for you guys, the TRB right, crew. TRB team, listen up. And if there's headphones on the table, you should put them on your head. This is from Tyler Bunting. This actually very nicely categorized Tyler's email. So the first part here is about cell count and pitch rate questions. So the first one is, how important is cell count when using Brett and uh, Lab? L-A-B? All right, Bradley. <laughs> oh, I, I see. Bradley? I have no idea. <laughs> yes. Good, yep. who, who wants this one? Jenna. 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 So, yeah, his question, Jenna, is, is how important is the cell count, and especially when it's used in secondary, like how accurate do you aim to be? For Brett or? For, for Brett and, and Lab. In secondary. Uh, yeah. Well, he says especially in secondary. So tackle secondary. Well, it's less important in secondary. What? Yeah, why? You're going to have, like, more limited types of sugars in your secondary fermentation. For your primary fermentation, uh, it kind of, the things you put in there that are the strongest are going to kind of tear through. So if you're putting a mixed fermentation, whether it be lactic acid bacteria and Brett, I don't know if he's talking about you're putting in both at once. Um, well, it's just when using the red lab. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Both Brett at and once. lactic acid bacteria. Do you, do you do both? Do you, do you, there's times when you do both at once and then everything. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can do both or so, so, singularly. So sometimes what you're saying, Jenna, is like, you know, the, the carbohydrate landscape is a lot different in primary fermentation. Yes. And there are some sugars which fall into the carb- – sorry, I was say carbohydrate before. Yeah. But some sugars that fall under that umbrella that are more easily digestible. And in secondary, 
those tend to be more complex carbohydrates. Since it's a different fermentation because of the nature of the sugars that are available or carbohydrates that are available, that it drastically impacts what the pitch rate is, and perhaps a secondary pitch rate can be much lower than a primary pitch rate. Yeah. uh, Also, you're not just talking about the levels of carbohydrates, but also the oxygen content or if there's already ethanol in in the what you're pitching into so a, a lot of things a, a affect the health of your pitch rate mm-hmm. i would actually think that if you want to increase the health of like a brett secondary uh fermentation i would increase a pitch rate but with lactic acid bacteria it's just kind of going to going to grab on to the loose ends you know you look at something like cross-contamination or infections you know presumably that's an extremely low pitch rate almost right it's like you have brett or bacteria in a place where you didn't expect it in a clean beer and it is in this environment where there's ethanol there's more there's more complex uh, carbohydrates and also less carbohydrates overall less accessible and those still come through sometimes, you know, not all the time, because if you go to a brew pub and, you know, they just do tank to serving tank to tap and all their beer goes through this one facility, honestly, cross-contamination is less of an issue for someone like that. But if you look at their beer under a microscope or, you know, really realistically, a lot of people's beer, you're going to see small amounts of bread or bacteria What's that noise? <laughs> that was Mike. In, in, a, in a homebrew situation... Mike disagrees, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm just surprised. No, in, in a homebrew situation, a lot of people... Like, everyone says that, like, brewers are glorified janitors. We do a lot of cleaning. We, we do a lot of sanitizing. And that's always great because we're being really careful because we're scaling things up. But in a homebrew situation, like, the four cells you're going to get in the in the gasket or whatever you didn't clean right, it's really not going to matter. <laughs> to sum up, primary high, secondary low. low. Got it. Uh, wait, one more. Can I, there's an can anecdote I, from Stefan here. Can I contribute? Thank you, play? Mike. Uh-oh. This is Thank your... you. Bring back Stefan. Traffic cop. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Just on this <laughs> subject of secondary, I guess. We've had... If I could, if I could, people get, don't understand PDO. And let me expound now. Mike is a specialist in PDO. We, right? we have two. Di- we've had two different scenarios that I think are pretty the extremes of what we're talking about here. So, one thing we haven't talked about yet is that we last May decided to start exploring upping our hopping rate. We went from hopping very low. Very low to one pound of low alpha in a thousand gallons to 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 basically to like twenty twenty two depending on the alpha of the hop but so basically going from negligible to twenty twenty i b u yeah so um the first time we tried this well actually actually technically in my story is the fir- is the first in my story it's a non fiction it's non chronological <laughs> but um we brewed, we just, we fermented DuPont from Giga Yeast, GYO27. And uh, 
uh, went into unrinsed barrels that had previously had uh, uh, Dre from BSI and PDO from White Labs. And pretty, pretty quickly de- developed character that we were pretty surprised about. We had never had like such aromatics, such complexity, so quickly or ever. Um, and we were pretty excited, to say the least. And bookend this with another example where um, actually basically around the same time, we brewed um, two 30-barrel batches, one that was at said hopping rate, one that was at our lower one that kind of equalized at a much lower rate. Uh, we fermented it with BSI-2, which is the fuller strain, Y-East 1968, 002, et cetera. And around mid—so we started at 12 for all of our gold. Play-Doh. Play-Doh. So around four-ish, we we inoculated with Brett C. and Brooks and almost immediately got significant character, like pretty substantial character from the Brett. Brett character that we've never had in the tank to be at for sure. These these then went into barrels um, that we thought we had ozoned, but we've since <laughs> fine-tuned our ozone process. And But they developed acidity, and when I say acidity, they got significantly ropey. Yeah, yeah. But there are super interesting beers now. Then they're very they're very acidic. But what process? What was the name of that beer? Were they ropey? That's I think that's in terms of in timeline. the barrels. But uh, like I don't know. No, no bacteria added. No yeah, bacteria sorry. Added. Yeah, no, none in none intentionally. Two to I don't know. Two to four two weeks to maybe in barrels. You know, you go to pull a sample and you hold the glass out, and it just makes this weird loopy thing that. Cr- goes down the side of the barrel. That's enough. <laughs> it was, although it was weird, we were excited, and it's been, you it's, were, it's a you great were all weirdly excited, yeah. <laughs> I was not weirdly excited. You were weird. I was normally excited. <laughs> I don't know if anyway, that's possible, but. I bring this up mainly just to show how much hopping played in our secondary. In the past, we've done secondary, all kinds of secondary, and gotten differences, but not like this. Not so pronounced, not so early. Yeah, and I'm Take glad, it away, Jay. I'm glad. Yeah, thank you, Stefan. Back to me. So I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I think we should. I know there's more questions to get to. He's um, clearly feeling better. Me? Yeah. I've just had two beers now. Well, so. you, you, you look sound, great, you by the way. Better, thank you. So. Yeah. Thank you very much. You look great. You're, you guys are the best. Beautiful. You are. I'll buy you all beers. Too. Your beard's so thick and shiny. All right, now everyone stop talking so I can oh, talk. Yeah, yeah, and I'm Take glad. Take it away, Jay. <laughs> He really wants uh, to hear from you, man. You have so many drops now. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. We don't need you. <laughs> no, you definitely don't. But I'll you look great as well. I'll work, thank you, buddy. I'll work the drop board. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to get into to a discussion with everyone here with kind of like the current state of the rare barrel beer, what we're thinking, what, what, what we've learned over the last year, basically. Because we got into some good discussions about, you know, the state of our beer last year when we were here. Um, you know, Stefan, you mentioned the, the hopping factor, and that's definitely something that we, uh, you know, started to mess around with. That's something that, uh, you know, you, you pushed for a lot, and a lot of you guys did as well. We want it. Yeah, you want more hops. Want it. Everyone does. Of course. So um, that's, that's, a, that's a lever we turn, you know, or push up and down. And something else, you know, you mentioned in that 
with the ozoning of the barrels that ended up getting ropey, which were just English ale, Brett B, and Brett C, we're starting to play around with also what we're doing with barrel treatment. And that's, you know, a whole other podcast on its own, and so is the hopping rate, right? So, you know, we're, we're just starting to get our first results from this from these experiments, but as we're experimenting with hops at different levels with either Saccharomyces and Brett and Bacteria later, Saccharomyces and Brett up front and Bacteria later, Sac, Brett, and Bacteria up front, and all different hopping rates for all that, you know, like we do all the time with a bunch of different experiments. We don't know quite what the end flavor is going to be with a lot of these beers. They're still beers in progress, but we like a lot of them, I would say, and that's what I'm really excited about. But also what we've done is to you know, take our barrels as another opportunity to influence flavor. So, you know, every every week or two weeks, we're moving beer, aged sour beer, from their oak barrels that they've been in for four months, six months, eight months, whatever it's going to be, out of the barrel and into a tank for blending. And then we have an opportunity there with the vacated barrel. We could use that as an inoculant, or if we want a more subdued influence from the previous beer, what we'll do is we'll use some of our barrel treatment apparatus. So that could be as simple as nothing, not treating the barrel at all, just refilling it right there, to you know cold water rinse, to hot water, hot water rinse. Um, we have a gamma jet and pressure washer set up, which really does a pretty good job of blasting a lot of stuff out of the inside of the oak barrel. We now have uh, ozone, which is basically like, an environmentally created barrel sanitizer. It's not perfect, certainly, but we use that as another uh, aspect of our barrel treatment program. Now we have a steam generator, so we can use steam as well. So it's also an example. So we have a beer that's going to be a primary fermentation with Saccharomyces and Britannomyces. That beer is going to go to oak barrels, 30-barrel batch, about 16 oak barrels, Let's say we vacate 16 oak barrels for a beer, a base blend that we're going to fruit. Now we have 16 empty oak barrels to work with for our 30-barrel batch. So maybe four of them will get filled just with that sack prep beer. Straight up, unrinsed, that kind of easiest option that I laid out earlier. Then maybe the next four will get cold water rinsed. So that's rinsing out any of the residual yeast and bacteria in the oak barrel, mm-hmm. but not to the extent where it's like all gone. Obviously, on a microscopic level, all that stuff is still there, but it's not killing it. It's just getting most of it out of there. Right. So then we fill those four oak barrels. And now the next four oak barrels, we're going to ozone. And then the next four oak barrels, we're going to steam and ozone. So now we have a 30-barrel batch, 16 oak barrels, but we have four data points of four different barrel treatments that are going to affect how the beer ages and develops. Just like we can go batch to batch and adjust, okay, this is a 10 IBU 30 barrel batch. This is a 20 IBU 30 barrel batch. This is a 30 IBU 30 barrel batch. And imagine if we do each of those oak barrel treatments on each of those batches and I'm not good at math, so I don't know how many different experiments that is, but that's a lot of what we're working on right now. 30 BBL? 30 BBL. We've got a sheet to track it, don't worry. Yeah, so I mean, it's you know, it's like 12 or something like that. Different experiments out of three batches with the different barrel treatments at different hopping rates. If it, Only if it's sack bread, 
But now we're doing SAC, SAC Brett, SAC Brett, lactic acid bacteria. It's, you know, we just have so much going on. The top level idea here is that vary your process and look for the diamond in the rough. When you total, when you get that one that shines through, and you love it, you stri- it's kind of like that moment you strike gold. It's like you're in the mine, you're you know pickaxing away, and then it's like, oh, there we go. Look at that. That's awesome. That's a lot of what we do. Not that the other stuff isn't good. You know, it actually turns out pretty well. But the one section of like, here's one oak barrel. That's great. Here's two oak barrels. Here's four. Here's six. Here's ten. That's almost like what we get most excited about. And then those shape the future of the brewery because it's like we need more stuff like this. How do we get to a point where we get more stuff like this? So I'm going to turn it to you guys and say, what have been those one, two, four, ten oak barrel, you know, groups that you guys have been really excited about and stuff you think we should be doing more of in the coming year? I mean, let's start with Stefan, Tommy, and Logan recently. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that are like, I, I think just to give you guys a brief, a brief history, like quick run through. You know, it's like Saccharomyces was a big thing, and we did a lot of like Jay says, like did a lot of like Brett Lacto, Brett PDO, maybe mixed culture, Bug Farm, Bug County, whatever. Yeah, yeah but I mean, like you know, like there, we did some 01, and then I think we, you know, around July of fifteen, we started roping in some Saccharomyces strains and. Yeah, I mean, it's like your work composition. There's so many things, and we could go on forever. I think it all started with DuPont. Speaking to the mic. Go ahead. I mean, I, I would I love said to I think it all started with DuPont or oh, something something around there. Hops. I mean. we. we I, I think what Mike is, the, the, the place in time that Mike is getting at is a, a place where we went from, we were transitioning from a Britannomyces primary dominant brewery absolutely into the beginning of being uh you know transitioning into trialing out saccharomyces as the primary fermenter you know which is traditional for most breweries but sure. we started off very conservatively with stuff like 001 002 you know just very neutral strains and i think what uh you, you may have heard aaron in the background saying you know dupont was kind of a turning point and i think that's something where we transition into Okay, you know, we think this works, and we have learned a little bit from this, but now if we could pick whatever the next Saccharomyces strain is going to be, what what would we pick? And I think a lot of people were really interested in um, Saison strains, plural, I would say. I mean, sure. we certainly have a lot of DuPont primary fermented beer in the brewery right now, but we also have a lot of different Saisons. Yeah, I mean, we started with a lot of different Saccharomyces strains, and... You know, just to walk you guys through a brief process, this was back when our work composition was kind of, um, I don't know how long I can riff on this, but it's like we had a very like, this is what our work composition is. The only thing we're going to change is the bugs. And we are brewing our, what everyone knows as the rare barrel gold recipe with your whatever 80% or 75% um, pale malt or pilsner malt, depending on your base malt and like that that higher percentage of wheat and your spelt malt or spelt malt vienna oats i guess you know aromatic special aromatic special aromatic right not the regular aromatic not the 25 lava bond whatever it is the lower very special um very special there you go thank you logan 
But yeah, I mean, we started kind of, and we didn't change the hopping rate. We didn't change the inoculation rate. It was kind of like a very low hopped wort. What we found was we changed those Saccharomyces, like Saccharomyces ferment, great, you know, from early early Saccharomyces and then Brett later at the time, which is relative, like after five days, you know, we're down to five Plato, and then we pitch Brett, PDO, Lacto, and we put those to barrels with a low hopping rate. You know, and I, like I said, I can go on forever and ever. So we kind of like, we slowly change things, and Jay likes to say pushing levers, turning knobs, and I think about a year ago, probably, I guess a year and a half ago, we were slowly changing things, and that's always what the experiment has been about. And I think recently, you know, to us it seems like, oh, these are things that we've we've moved the levers, we've moved the knobs more and more. And I think Stefan and um, Tommy and Logan and, you know, ob- obviously all of us can kind of talk to what the recent, or, you know, when I say recent, I mean, I guess eight to nine months now changes have been so I'll actually just add on. I'll add a quick addendum to what you're saying, Mike. You know, we were making all these changes with Saccharomyces strains, trying to drive new flavors for sure. But at the same time, I think there was a change happening. I, I don't want to say slow to develop, but it was like late onset and very sudden. I think, which is the strength of the bacteria was increasing exponentially and kind of all at once. Like we. Those batches, even we started with 001, um, you know, those had a, a, a very firm acid to them. And it, it kind of, to, to a certain extent, blew our experiment out of the water. Because it was like, we're trying to do all these nuanced changes with Saccharomyces, but really the, the lacto, lacto and PDO just changed those beers so much that we couldn't even perceive the differences. For sure. One thing, just a note on that, and not to, to challenge you on that, but it's like, we were we we'll were go changing. outside later. We, you know, Whoa. You're slightly bigger than me. That's fine. <laughs> Just my no, I mean, honestly, around that time, I, I have same. a very... <laughs> we're about the same. Also, Mike, you're a hockey player. Come on. I have a very specific <laughs> memory. You know, I, I was about six months in, into the rare barrel, and it was like, for you, it was a very, like, you're starting to let stuff on Aaron and I, and I think Rob had just started at the time. We were sitting at, like... There was someone there from a magazine, I forget what it was, and they were like, we're doing a blending session, and we're like taking all these pictures, and we're kind of like tasting all these beers that have been low-hopped, fermented with either Brett Lacto fermentations, and they were like getting pretty sour, and I, I think a lot of, I think you talk about like those, those Saccharomyces early fermentations, and it was just kind of an interesting like, well, is this the shift, and are things kind of getting more and more sour, and... You know, it's just kind of like, well, maybe they are. And then we have the conversation of, is it time to kind of readjust? And it's kind of funny to say now, but all of us were like, well, you know, that guy's my boss. And what do I say? You know, we got (laughs) shit. I don't know. And we got like, hey, Jay, what if we do these Saison things? And you're like, oh, yeah, cool. Which one? We're like, what? It's like that. You just, just, we just point to one on the paper and you're going to let us do it. But yeah, I mean, a little more thought than that, hopefully. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it is kind of, it's easy to, and it's kind of the, the, you touched on it a little earlier, I guess, in the last, last episode now, like the professional brewer and realizing that you do have to release these beers. You do have to still make beers to turn a profit and whatnot. But at the same time, we touch on the seller balance and, you know, how do you react to what you've done and how do you correct and course correct? And as a home brewer, you can do, you make five gallons of, oh, five gallons, and like, oh, I, I did this, and it's not as good, and I'm just going to dump this. But, like, 
we don't have that liberty, right? How do we adjust? How do we course correct? How do we blend? So that's the exciting thing. Sean, go ahead. You got something? I mean, just thinking about, I think, a, uh, a sentiment that we've all expressed is just in terms of, you know, if we ran the rare barrel search right now, I think we would all be super ecstatic to find out the results. And part of that is because, well, we kind of already have the results from the last one, too, but it's also about us being just exceptionally excited about what we have in our cellar right now. And a lot of that is because of, you know, we have saisons, we have mixed culture saisons, we have, you know, Brett Lacto, um, we just have all these different combinations right now. And there's different ones where, you know, for me, like, there's certain barrels that if you guys find me kind of in the cellar with a nail pulled out, laying on the ground, just like beer running in my mouth, <laughs> please don't judge me. But at the same time, you know, there's other people that they don't like that beer. I'm judging. And that's the fantastic part of having everyone around, having all these experiments, is there's going to be beers that I love. There's going to be beers that other people hate. There's going to be beers that other people love that I've got no problem expressing. You know, to me, I'm like, oh, God, why are we tasting these again? And the fantastic part about being here is because this is going to happen again and again and again. And in a year from now, we're all going to be like, oh, well, yeah, why do we care about the stuff that was in our cellar last year? I mean, God, have you seen this batch over here? Have you seen that batch over there? Like, the, these are all the things right. that we work towards. And it's a it's one of those fun things to be able to get to do. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's fun to see how, you know, everyone's got their opinions and a lot of it is just based on hey i saw this happen this is the decision that we made and i thought that was a good idea or that was my idea and it's like look at this it turned out great like let's do more of this and that's the ownership that you know i don't i don't want that solely i want you guys to be you know i want you guys to take that and you know be excited about what beers are being produced and i think that's happening more and more now but what are you excited about, Rob? Kind of goes back to you as well, but uh, we're talking about acidity growth and kind of our cellar and the beers that we're producing. When we were kind of getting out of hand, like uh, not getting out of hand, but uh, we, we have a lot of beers and barrels that are producing a lot of, you know. Um, like fermentation versus kind of like, like reacting to what we were doing and where we saw the beers going. And yeah, and the way we reacted to that was understanding that what was going on in our barrels. And one thing that we implemented, you know, implemented was the introduction of ozone, which is awesome, and steam, another great thing, where, you know, we were able to kind of combat, combat what was going on in our barrels by knocking those cultures down by introducing, one, a steam treatment to new barrels that come into our brewery, as well as kind of ozone is a, a, a practical use of every barrel that is either emptied or is new to our brewery. And we are able to kind of knock down the cultures that are in barrels. So, you know, barrels that we had strong lactic cultures in, we are able to empty, you know, like, hey, say that very sour beer is going into a blend. Super cool. That's awesome. And now we have this empty barrel that is, you know, dirty, empty, and let's deal with it. So now we're introducing steam and we're introducing uh, ozone to kind of knock down those cultures, ideally to nothing. But um, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, being able to control what's going on in our barrels. And it's really cool that we're able to do that. 
Yeah, I would say that, I mean, one thing that we've kind of found out in terms of the seller balance uh, is that the ability to produce acid is really like a, it's a blessing and a curse. And that at this point, we've, we've kind of, we know we can produce acid when we want to produce acid. And it's really trying to find a balance, uh, especially with hops and experimenting with hopping rates is where to, you know, get the right amount of bread expression before we produce acid and, uh, you know, have that blending component for the beers, final beers that we want to make. And I mean, absolutely. I think from the beginning, or ideally, if we're going to start making sour beer more consistently, we have a set process, right? You know, it's like we, we, we know this process will make, you know, a, a lightly tart, low-medium acid profile with a ple- like an overall pleasant brett aromatic that is present but not offensive. That's the most versatile profile right there. So it's like, but we I don't think we can make that. Consi- we don't know how to make that consistently right now, right? And that's something that we'll search for. And once you get to that anchor point, you can kind of branch off a little bit instead of playing the game of okay, I'm going to make acid beer, and that's going to be an asset, and then I'm also going to have sack breath beer which is going to be not sour and aromatic and all we're going to do is just blend those two every time we need to make a beer versus trying to shoot the middle and saying this is how this is the ideal way to make the beer every single time um you know i think we're still honing in on i don't don't think either i don't think that you have to pick one you know i don't think you have to shoot the middle every time i think you can do both but how do you do them really well? You know, I think I think we've checked one of the three off the list. We can make sour beer. You know, we can we can produce acid and blend that. But the other kind of pillars are still out there for us to conquer. And, and not, not that we've conquered this one. It's just it's something we we believe we can do. But hey, check in. You know, right? Sorry, right now we believe we can do currently. But check in. You know, a year from now, and we may. S- Fine. The pendulum has swung back the other way, <laughs> which is one well, word. To uh, Stefan and Logan, but you know we have this very um, primary clean beer that is, you know, a brat. A brat. <laughs> Take that one. Um, a sack brat beer. We're putting into these previous lacto barrels that maybe we just ozone rinse that might have a little bit of culture in them, and uh, we're developing a nice acidity in those barrels. I don't know. I, I feel like we've, we've seen a little bit of that, that these barrels that have seen enough to, like, an ozone rinse in barrels that knocks the culture down enough to develop a long-term acidity. Final that's, thoughts, that's Stefan. That's kind of up to you guys. I, I don't deal with uh, the long-term stuff. Je- Jenna, then uh, Stefan. Except Go ahead, Jenna. when it comes to food or aging, which I, I, worked, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I personally worked a lot with, uh, you know, working with fooders. Um, okay. Yeah. Jenna, go ahead. And well, looking at this. Fooder. Oh, that, that's I, right. Go ahead, Jenna. Hardly know her. <laughs> Is that all you have to say? <laughs> No, but looking at my, looking microbially at different barrels from different years of the brewery, I just feel very privileged to be able to like compare 
the microbial contents and the sensory stuff, and I think I'm learning a lot, and I think I, I'm very excited to get into like the real nitty-gritty of why things are getting really sour and how we can create the cellar balance that we want. So Yeah, we're especially, cellar balance. especially excited because it's kind of like, you know, you work in a different country, and you know how to, like, get around and kind of, like, you know, do things, but you don't know how to communicate with all the people that live there. It's sort of like Jenna is, like, hiring a translator who can tell you what they're saying. Buongiorno. I mean, the microbes in our beer are trying to speak to us, and we're just trying to listen a little bit more, and that's definitely something we're excited about over the next year. All right, final thoughts, Stefan. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Let's move um, on. <laughs> uh, I mean, what uh, <laughs> what Rob was talking about, at least from my perspective, is that we've we've had a lot of, I guess you call them experiments, a lot of data points as we like to point them, but we don't have a lot of data yet. You know, we haven't been able to draw a lot of conclusions. That's, There's a lot. A, it's a decades-long experiment, Mike. There's a lot of variation in our inoculants, at, or as in, you know, the barrels that the beer goes into, hopping rates, but it's it's very promising. I mean, we, I mean, just, you know, it's it's a matter of, oh, this one got character in two weeks. Can you believe that? Try this. Try this. I am making an action of me handing a cup to people. Taste this cup. <laughs> Smell this cup. Can you believe it? Or it's just me pulling a sample and like, oh, I guess it's all right. I don't know. I won't tell anyone about this one. <laughs> but it's just it's just trial and error. And I think, I don't know, I mean, next year, this show's going to be so exciting. That's what we said last year. You know, <laughs> think of the IDIP promos that I will give. It's going to be great. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Have me back on. I'll tell you all about it. It'll be great. Yeah. You available next week? Honestly. Uh, let me check my Google calendar. I don't know yet. One, one thing. Next week, sorry. Final, final thought for me is that, you know, I, I think uh, we're, we're, uh, we love talking about this stuff on the staff. So good. It's so good. That, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, and uh, we're hypercritical of our beer and other people's beer but uh <laughs> no but it, it 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 leads us to a place where we're not really satisfied i'll try and say this humbly but you know i think we've gotten a lot of good response to our beer uh, out in the world and that's fair to say and i think our reaction inside of the brewery is like a full two steps down from that the public reaction to our beer we're not satisfied with where we are we're not even satisfied with where we're going. Like we just talked about how excited we are with about with the beer that we have in the cellar. And, you know, I had two conversations today. We we're just like, oh, we should be doing this. We should be doing that. Yeah. And I love that. I love that about uh, this staff uh, in the room tonight. And I hope that comes across uh, the pod waves because, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have a talented group of people uh, working with me on this project and really just taking the reins on the project because they're – they're steering the ship now, and I'm, it's fun just to, to be more of a passenger. And they are doing weird hand gestures, so I think it's time. <laughs> Never going to get uh, they, it. They've all, <laughs> they've all put their hands in. Like, everyone get your hands in like before you go out on the field. Hey, well, we'll, we'll, 
we'll, we'll have that in a second. Did I did I hit all my marks? By the I way, I think you did over there. Uh, did you talk about the ice BN shows? <laughs> talk yeah. about Oregon fruit. You're double checked. I'm double checked. www.smartbrew.com. Thank you, Scott, for tolerating. Stay sour. My pleasure. Thanks, Brad, for coming out. Probably. All right, we're gonna try. Are you gonna do this with us? The stay sour. It's coming. I'll do the. I'll try and do a better countdown this time. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Here we go. Yeah, they all missed it. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. That was unbelievable. Here we go. We're going to go after the one. What just happened? What the hell are you guys doing? Somebody did that. Oh, the volume's up too high. You got it. What's your range? You can't hear it all. Sounds great. I'll do it. We're almost there. All right, everyone shut up. Shut up. Stay sour. Uh...